Our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to read the full uh, 13 verses. And um, I believe this would be a familiar uh, passage of scripture for many of us. Uh, I consider it one of the most mysterious passages in the Bible uh, because I find that if, if it's the intention of the writer for me to fit myself in the characteristics of love in this, in this uh, chapter of scripture, then I find that I, I fail woefully. Uh, so, for example, when it says love is patient, love is kind, if I say, if I say instead of love, to put myself, muiwa is patient, muiwa is kind, uh, I know that my wife will be the first to say, ah, no, uh, that's, that's not really true. So, I do need a revolution, as Alan is going to be talking about, in my heart, in order to begin to even understand, to comprehend what, what, what God wants for me through this passage of scripture. So I'm going to start, I'll read verses 1 to 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll have Maisha would come in and uh, read the rest of the scripture. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecy, prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish behaviors behind me. Now we see a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We welcome you again to Weston Park Baptist Church, our virtual service. Nice sunny day here in Toronto. Um, we hear that the pandemic is, uh, seems to be slowing down, so that's really good news. We're even talking about trying to do some outdoor services. We'll see how we can um, do that as we continue to watch the numbers, but we thank you for your patience and uh, bearing with it all through this whole time. In the midst of all of that, we, you know, we as a church family, we have our 
joys and we have our pains, our sorrows, and we know that uh, each of us, uh, you know, have our challenges and, and we just continue to uphold our faith community as we walk through these days. So we have to keep looking to God. Indeed, as a God who comes towards us, we are coming to an end to this series and we're reminded again that God is not a deist God. God does not stay away from us. There is indeed no separation because Christ lives within us. And the uh, invitation is to really sit with that and stay with that and allow that seed of faith to grow and mature and develop amidst all the ups and downs of life. And, and that can be a challenge. And of course, the great temptation is to actually just turn away. The great temptation is to give up on our seed of faith, just say it doesn't make any sense where is God and we just turn away. We harden our hearts as the scriptures say. And indeed today we will consider that image of the soft heart instead of a hard stony heart as the scriptures make that comparison. So to continue to be receptive to God who comes towards us and as we move towards the end, we're looking now at a text from 1 Corinthians 13 which reminds us that God is fundamentally love. John says that God is love. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he's reminding the faith community in Corinth that God is a God of love. So amidst it all, God is a God of love who comes to us, for God so loved the world. So will we receive him in love? And then, of course, pass that love on to others. In these last few weeks, we've heard of you know, many challenging situations. For example, in London, Ontario, we heard of the young man who hit a family that were walking, Muslim family, just because they were Islamic, and killed four of the individuals of that family. You know, an act of hate, an act of, of anger and violence, of obviously turning away from love. We think of the indigenous children that we've been reminded of recently, 215 children that were buried in a, the grounds of a residential school, British Columbia. And again, we don't know all the details of that by any means, but obviously actions that don't represent love and care and respect kindness. And so that, that, that's the kind of world we live in. I mean, John, Jesus talks about it, the world. When Jesus uses that language of the world, he's speaking of not the natural world, but the, the world of, of humankind and the institutions that we set up and the values that we set up that are opposed to the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, they, they built the Tower of Babel. It was, it was meant as a symbol of independence from God, and we do it in our own ways. We see the fallout of all that. So being open and receptive to a God of love who continues to come towards us, that's where we have been going, and we stay with that over these next couple of weeks. And so today we're thinking of the revolution of the heart, 
Love is God's revolution in our heart. We've been reminded that God looks for repentance, reorientation. That's the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, the beginning of uh, Christ's ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near, meaning reorient yourself so that God is involved and is the center of your picture and not on the margins if he's there at all. Repent, reorient, to change our stony hearts into hearts of flesh. Ezekiel writes the great prophet, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So the contrast between the heart of stone and the heart of flesh for Israel, and it continues for us. A heart of stone, not sensitive to others, not sensitive to God's spirit, or a heart that is receptive. In, in, in Jewish writings, they would speak about the two hearts. And there was the heart of goodness that was receptive to God, and then there was the heart, uh, the evil heart that, that turned away. And, you know, we've felt that in our own lives many times. Moving away from God, resisting God, even though we know he's there. So which heart are we uh, sensitive to and allowing to grow and mature? So Ezekiel writes, I will give them a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh, we're talking about this revolution of love, just setting up our theme before we move to the text is moving beyond eros love to agape love. And eros love, in, in a negative sense, is, is living by self-interest. It, it's more than that. It's, it's this whole picture of love. Greek language uses various words for love. But eros can speak to simply our own self-interest, our own possession. We want to possess the other or the other thing. That is eros. And we're invited to move beyond eros to agape love. And agape love is to move beyond self-interest to concern for the other. So this revolution of the heart that Paul is looking for. And when we do that, we recognize that at the core of God is love. So it's interesting in Genesis, in the, in the creation story, Genesis 1.26 says that we are created in the image of God. And often when we do that and we think about analyzing what does that mean, the image of God, we will, we will think in terms of you know, characteristics, emotional characteristics, intellectual characteristics of the human uh, and how we reflect God. So uh, you know, our, our ability to be really self-conscious, to be self-aware, uh, that, that speaks of our reflection of who God is. But actually, I think the biggest piece here is that being made in the image of God, being created in the image of God, speaks to our capacity to love, because God is love. And so God creates humankind as a, as a species that really has the ability to love, to love the other, and to move beyond love for self-interest. It's not just caring for your your immediate family. I mean, in the animal kingdom, we see, you know, lion parents taking care of their little cubs, and we see that for everywhere. But with the human, we also have the capacity to even to love our enemies. And we don't see that reflected anywhere else in 
this great kingdom on planet Earth. It's the human that can reach beyond our own self-interest and to love others. And so our capacity to love reflects God's capacity to love, which is his image. And so when Paul is speaking of a revolution of the heart, he's saying, hey, wake up and really become what you can be in terms of the image of God, to reveal God's love to others and not just simply to yourself. For this reason, Jesus in his ministry speaks of love. In the Upper Room Discourse, we've been looking at it, John 13 through 17. It's interesting that Jesus says in John 13, 34, 35, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Well, we've been hearing about love all the way through the Bible. But Jesus repeats it in his last teaching to his disciples, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, agape love. Just as I have loved you, agape love, you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we really have love for one another, then the world will recognize that. The world is drawn to love at some level, it is. But Jesus in his last teaching keeps pushing on that reality that we are called to love. Love not just our family, not just our friends, not just our faith community, but to love even those around us. To love those people in your buildings that you're living with. To love those who are neighbors on your street. To love those who live in other countries. I mean, it, it's, this is what the great capacity of the human has that ability. And Jesus is saying, I want to see that. That's what we're about, growing that. So I like what Corretto writes. He says, human love is a straight line, the union of two points in the space of the creature. Two points. But charity, love, is a triangle. The revolution of the heart is this, to transform the straight lines of our loves into triangles with the triune presence of God at the vertex. So at we, we, we create a triangle, and at that point where the lines meet, that's the vertex right here. And the vertex is a love between humans with God in the middle, with God at the center. So we love, and we do so because God enables us to love, and God is included in this revolution of the heart that changes hard, stony hearts through hearts of flesh. So we say all of that in terms of a setup and understanding where, where Paul is going here. Why, why does he move towards this great chapter as he moves toward the ends of this letter to the Corinthians? So he speaks about this revolution of the heart. An invitation for you, an invitation for me. So with that in mind, then, we think, okay, well, let's look to the letter, 1 Corinthians 13, and think in terms of some of the words that are used there. Obviously, this is an amazing unit. goes way beyond what we can look at in a 25-minute talk. But some of the reality here, let's see. And I think it's, first of all, important to recognize that 1 Corinthians 13 is, is situated in the undertaking, in the underworkings of the local church. 
So even though I've used this text for weddings and for talking about love, that, that's not really the context of this Taj chapter at all. It's about a church in Corinth that had many, many problems. And first the whole, in fact, the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is just rhyming off one problem after another and Paul deals with it. And here, right in the middle of this conversation about gifts and charismatic gifts and, and the wanting to you know, have certain gifts, Paul talks about love. And so this letter of love that Paul writes is, is spoken to a faith community. So it's the same for us here in Weston Park Baptist Church. Our dealings with one another, that's where 1 Corinthians 13 speaks. So when we love one another, we are hearing what the Apostle says. When we are not loving one another, when we are only thinking about our own feelings and motions and self-interest, we're not doing what Paul is saying. We're not hearing the commandment of Jesus to love one another. So it's, it's, it's spoken to, it's embedded in the reality of the local church. That's how important it is to love one another. So the text reads in 1 to 3, what love is not. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So the point, Paul begins with the negative here, what love is not, love is not just a lot of noise. Love is not just a lot of externals that finally is about what I want and desire. And the reference to gongs and symbols and prophecy, most likely we're all externals, we're all characteristics of other religions in Corinth at the time, and the main one was the cult of Dionysus. Dionysus was the god of nature and fertility. And in Corinth at the time, Corinth had a reputation of being a very messy, worldly city. And it was because this cult of Dionysus was so central. Fertility cult, a pleasure cult, committed to that in the name of God. And so there were all kinds of externals and music and so on that, that ramped people up. And Paul finally is saying, hey, that, that's not what faith is about and not what love is about. It's not primarily about pleasure or wealth or finance or goods. Corinth was a rich city, situated at, right at the point where two uh, land masses joined through a canal that was built, and the, the, the canal, which is still there, you can look at it, brought goods from one sea to another, and, and so it was an economic center, lots of money going on, lots of trade going on, lots of movement of people, hence a lot of noise. Paul says that's, that's not what love is about, that's where he begins. And then, of course, he goes to this famous unit in verses 4 to 7, which we've heard so much. Love is patient. No, that's how he begins. Love is patient. 
In the community of faith, love is patient. Wow. Could begin anywhere, but Paul Bright begins there. Why? Because we, we, we were impatient with one another. Easy. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. I mean, Paul just goes at it because those are the things, those are the buttons that we go after so much. It does not exist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What love is. Begins with what love is not, now what love is. You know, we could spend weeks on drilling down into those verbs. It's interesting that those are all verbs in the Greek. To be patient, to be kind, not to be jealous, not to be uh, irritable. Those are, it's all present, ongoing, tense verbs. This is the way I want you to live. This is the way that is to characterize the local church. So th that's what we need to hear. It's, it's em embracing these verbs so that they become ongoing attitudes and actions in our lives. And, and we know, we know, we can't do that on our own. Without God's love within us, we, it's impossible for us to do this. But Paul obviously expects that with God's love in us, we can actually live this way. And Jesus does the same, love one another. So he begins with being patient, to be kind, not to be jealous, not to be boastful, not to irritate or be irritable. See, not to live with a hard, stony heart, but to have this warm, soft heart that, that is respectful and generous of other people. Not to label people. Just say, well, that's what they, they're like, that's just them but to continue to seek to engage one another in love. What love is about, Paul is writing. And so that is to happen within the community of faith. And when we do that, Paul says, we will be a magnet to others around us and we will draw people uh, to Christ. We'll welcome them. And so it begins in the local church, but it, it is not contained in the local church. It spills out to the other. In Luke 10, when the lawyer asks Jesus what is the greatest commandment, and Jesus responds and says, well, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is based in that, and then he goes on and describes it. How? Through the telling of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so when we love, we are to love each other, and then that is to spill over and to love others. How? Practically, I'm not talking about emotions here, it means being patient, being kind, being generous, being respectful, all those things, that's how we show love. Doesn't mean that I have great emotional feelings about everybody I meet on the street, that's not gonna happen. But I can treat people with respect, kindness, Desire to show love to the other. Now, it's interesting with Paul. Paul the Apostle, was, his whole ministry was centered on the other. His whole ministry as a Jew 
was based on telling the gospel to the Gentiles, to all the other nations, and to making sure that the Jewish church respected those folks who come to know God. And he calls out the Jewish leaders, even Peter, when they are not showing love and respect to the other. And so Paul, Paul knows what he's talking about here, and he's practicing it. To show love to the Greeks, to the Romans, to slaves, to every nationality, that's Paul. And when we talk about 1 Corinthians 13, love, we're invited to do so as well. Right now our leadership team in the church is reading the book Becoming Brave by Brendan, Brenda Salton McNeil. Very good, working through it myself, it's very fine. Becoming Brave, she's a Christian, and she's speaking about how we work and advocate for those who are on the margins or who are being oppressed. She's writing as a black woman in the United States. And it's interesting to tell her story and to develop her theme. She's using the book of Esther as an example. And Esther, who is the queen of Persia at the time, wife of Xerxes, is challenged to move beyond her own self-interest and, and, and pleasure and comfort that she has as queen to risk her life to go to the king to advocate for the Jewish people who are on the verge of genocide. That's the storyline. So the question is, is, will she act? Will she move beyond self-interest and advocate for her own people? So we would say, well, sure, well, sure she would do that. But if you were in a situation where you had every, all the comforts of the world and were asked by someone to risk it all, including your life, to take up a cause to advocate, you know, would we do it? And we know from reading the book of Esther that Esther chooses to do so, advocates for the Jewish people. But it's, it's an indication, it's a, it, it's a precursor, presages our story of loving the other, of valuing the other, of respecting the other, and indeed of working for justice for the other. So will we rise up, if you like, to move beyond our own little circle, our own comfort, to be aware and to act and to engage for the other, whoever that is, in your life. What about us? In terms of the oppression of the black community, concern of oppression of Islam. When we are in the dominant culture, quote, the white culture here in North America, then how do we advocate for the other? That's all part of this love. So it begins in the church, but it spills over to, to everyone beyond. It's what Jesus advocates. It's what Paul advocates. It's what John advocates. It's what we see here in 1 Corinthians 13. And so hearing that, then, then what, what do we do with that? How do we end here? Well, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, we see the statement, a simple statement, love does not end. 
Love does not end. That's God's response. God's response to us is his endless, reckless love, we say, for you and for me. And if we back up a little bit to verse 7, we see that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is God's love for us. God acting for us. And if we go to the end, in 13.13 we hear, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. That's how it ends. God's endless love, God's great love, which is the greatest of all, because it is the core of who God is, does not end. So it means even when you and I mess up, when we mess up deeply, when we completely screw up, when we act out in a self-interested way, which we've all done at some time, when we mess up, God continues to love you deeply. Why? Verse 7, God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things for you and for me, because God is love. And so it reminds us that God, God, we can love others and reach out in love because God loves you in this endless, eternal, reckless love. When you don't believe in yourself, when you are completely fed up with yourself because you keep messing up, God believes in you. Wow. God believes in me. God hopes in you. Even when you give up hope on yourself, God hopes in you, believes in you. He bears you. He endures you. He is just like a loving mother or father who continues to care for their children even when they make bad choices even when they act out in selfish ways, loving parents continue to embrace. doesn't mean that they, they like everything you do, but they continue to embrace us. And Jesus, who is our brother, our brother in the faith, our Lord in the faith, he is the one who hugs us. The triune God, Father, Mother, Parent, Son, Spirit, Jesus is the one who is human, who has the capacity to put his arms around us and love us in the midst of it all. So I hope we can hear that. God believes in you, hopes in you, endures you, wants you to know his hug eternally. And then based in that, we are enabled to love one another and to even move beyond our friend circle, social circle, to love those who are very different from us. Because God loves us. And so the story then is, will we do so, you know? Will we say yes? I like the uh, Mr. Rogers song, you know it, uh, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You can do it. 
can't do it in yourself. But through the power of the Spirit in our lives, you can do it. You can love. God loves you, believes in you. You can do it. So I pray this week, amidst the challenges that you are experiencing, that you might know God's love, his embrace, his trust, his belief in you, his encouragement that you can do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hello.